I want to open up with a word of prayer. Um, last week, as I preached, I was unaware um, of the horrible killing that happened in Buffalo, uh, New York, when I came up to preach. And when I got home, I kind of been turned, I was, I was disconnected from media over the weekend. And when I got home after service is when I heard about things. And uh, my first thing was grieved that I was unable to address it with you all. I want you to know that that's not something that I purposely chose not to address. But second of all, realizing we need to address those kind of things. Um, man, there's so much evil in our world, family. And this is what brokenness does. In particular, it was a racially driven, racially charged murder and evil. And that in particular, we are grieved by in a unique way, family. Um, any kind of racist assault is an assault against the image of God, family. We are made in the very image of God. Like we, we bear his image as Megan shared with us this morning. That is a radical thought, family. Nothing in all of creation can have that label but us as people. And whenever somebody attacks someone else because of their color, their skin, their ethnic background, language, whatever it might be, it's an assault on the image of God. And it's an assault on God's plan. And so we condemn that family. And we also want to then affirm God's plan for all peoples from all places that come to know him. And that's why we are on mission as a church. We want to see the kingdom of God advance among all people, tribe, tongue, and nation as Revelation tells us. Because in glory, that's what it will be like. And so, family, I pray that we as a church would be courageous and bold to speak out when we see these kind of evils happen. And that we'd be a church who seeks to advance God's good news among all people. No matter where they come from, embracing the fact that they've been made in God's image. And we want to be his representatives. We want to see his kingdom advance. And so I want to pray. And part of grief is lament, family. The thing that there are people who are worshiping today in Buffalo, New York, who've lost family and loved ones. There are people today who just saying, God, what's going on? And um, maybe, I don't know if any of you knew someone out there, but we've known tragedies like these. And rather than providing solutions initially, we just got to stop and lament and say, man, God, this, this saddens us. And we do pray for answers. We do pray for, for gospel advancement. We pray for solutions. But right now, I just want to pray for God's healing and comfort over broken people and hearts. And that we would not let ourselves become desensitized to evils. And there are so many. I mean, the shooting in California in that church that was charged by pol politics among the Taiwanese and Chinese peoples. I mean, th these are things that the enemy wants to do to divide. And we got to stand against that family. And we pray that God would move in the midst of it. So let's, let's pray together, family, as we get ready to get in God's word. Almighty God, um, oftentimes we just don't know what to say. But Lord, we also feel in our soul that we've got to say something. Because sometimes silence just implies that we're just afraid to speak up. Sometimes we don't know what to say true, Lord. We know that. Well, we don't want to not speak up because we're afraid to speak up. We want to be a people, God, who are courageous to say when something is evil, to call sin, sin, to call racism, racism, to call violence, violence. God, we, we pray, oh, Lord, that you would move in our nation that is so divided and so broken, God. And, Lord, we know it doesn't matter who's in the White House. Here in Illinois, it don't matter who's in Springfield. God, we, we know that our politicians cannot bring deliverance from sin, Father. And so, Lord, we just pray, God, that your church would rise up, God. That we would rise up and we would be your witnesses testifying to the fact that you can bring people from different backgrounds who have very much different ideas and bring them together under the umbrella of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you can do that, God. And so, Lord, we want to be a church, and we pray that your church in America would be your church. That would grieve when we see evil happening. We would, we would cry when we see people's lives taken, Lord. That when communities outside of our own are mourning, we'd mourn with them. And not only be those who care when it hits on our block, God. And so, Lord, we confess that we don't know what to do so often. We don't know what to say 
But Lord, we just say, Lord, move, intervene. And for those families who are grieving God, we can't put to words their grief. I pray that you would be their comforter, God, this morning. Lord, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit. He is the paraclete, the comforter, the helper, the advocate. God, I pray your spirit would be that to the grieving today. And Lord, I know that even in our own church family, there are some who are grieving today. Some who are battling illness, chronic pain, upcoming surgeries, funerals on the horizon. Questions that linger without answers coming and they are mourning. God, I pray that you would be our comforter. Lord, I thank you that you care about us, that our prayers don't hit the ceiling of this building, but they come to the very throne room of grace because our great God and Savior Jesus Christ tore that curtain and said you can have access to the Father. So, Father, we come and pray, Lord, that you would move. God, keep our hearts tender. God, don't let us become hard-hearted and calloused. Keep us tender. We pray this, O oh Lord. And God, even with that same posture, I pray that you would speak through me this morning, God. Because, Lord, I know that you love us so much that you insist upon talking to us. When our ears grow dull, you insist on breaking through. When our eyes become blinded, you insist on giving us sight. Lord, I pray you would do that this morning so that we would leave this place changed, God. Whether we come in here walking with you, whether we come in here straying away from you, whether we come in here today and we don't even know who you are, we're trying to figure you out, I pray we would not leave the same way that we came in. So Spirit, I pray you would move in our midst. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. And church, what do we say to these words? Amen. Amen. Man, what a gift prayer is, man. I, we, can't, we can't make things happen by shouting louder, you know. Um, you know, one of the most sobering things as a preacher is to know that I can craft the most articulated or creative sermon and speak it with force, but if your ears don't hear it, it don't matter. Like, that's a humbling thing as a preacher, but I tell you, I promise you, as I work with my pastoral residents and others, I say that's also one of the most freeing things. Because our job is to just teach what God says, and it's God's job to let you hear it. And so, man, I pray that we would hear it today. Um, have you ever been to a, a carnival um, or an attraction or amusement park, and you see those wonky kind of mirrors set up? You know which ones I'm talking about. The ones that make you really long and thinned out sometimes. And you switch it to the other one, all of a sudden you're squashed and widened. You look at them and from a different angle, we saw one recently um, where we looked down, all of a sudden like my forehead stretched like 12 inches. And the thing is when you look at these things, depending how you move, they actually become pretty humorous. You're like, man, this is really tripped out, isn't it? And when you see these mirrors, they are really hysterical because they're like, yo, like that's not reality, but it's doing, it's like altering my reality. But what these mirrors also do oftentimes is they expose the ways that we often see ourselves in our own minds. You with me, fam? Sometimes we can have a different perspective of ourselves than what others see because we can be our harshest critics. But other times, as we consider our own existence, we become very insecure in who we are. We become very doubting of who we are. We are unsure of our identity. And before you know it, we start questioning and we feel out of balance. We feel a bit discombobulated as those mirrors cause us to feel. And those carnival of mirrors expose in our own minds oftentimes the insecurities that exist in our own hearts. And other people may not see us the way we see ourselves in that mirror, but it's the way we see ourselves that affects them the way we live our lives. Family, insecurity 
is a dangerous thing because it can cause us to not believe and trust in God as he calls us to trust in him. This morning, I want to talk through the ways that God gives us to break through insecurity, to embrace his plan and call for our lives. So that we would not see ourselves based on our own ideas, but based on the way that God sees us this morning. Family, I believe that insecurities of various kinds can be used as a tool from the enemy to cause us to not live according to God's plan for our lives. Because we begin to withdraw, we begin to isolate ourselves, and ultimately we begin to say, God, you can't use me because of, and you can fill in that blank for yourself, can't you? But I want you to know this morning, family, that God's power is greater than your greatest weakness today. I want you to know that God's word is more penetrable into your soul than the most persuasive lie of the devil. But what we need to do this morning is let God's word penetrate into our soul and begin to expose those lies. And even as I bring up insecurities, even as I bring up these carnival of mirrors, perhaps there's some lies that already immediately entered your mind. You with me, family, this morning? Maybe there's some perceptions of yourself that you believe or things that have been told to you that have altered your perception of who you are and these lives have penetrated into your soul and God today wants to eradicate those lies and let his word bring to you truth. God's power is greater than your greatest weakness. God's word is more penetrable into your soul than the most persuasive lie of the devil. So today we're going to see how God's presence, his promise, and his power can break through your insecurities and your incapabilities and turn what you perceive to be weakness and make you into a mighty woman or man of valor, bravery, and strength. God can do that, family. So I want you to join me in the book of Judges, chapter 6, as we discover how God helps us break through our insecurities. Judges, chapter 6. The book of Judges is in the beginning of your Bible. If you don't own a Bible, there is hopefully a, a blue one in that chair in front of you. We invite you to take that, own it, it is yours. And family, I want to invite you to stand with me. Stand with me as I get ready to read from Judges, chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. This is what God's word has to say. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Ebezerite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? saying, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And Gideon said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. Can you say, I will be with you? I will be with you. But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And Gideon said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come and bring out my presence and send it before you. And the angel said, I will stay till you return. 
This is God's word. You may be seated, family. We are in the middle of a series in the Bible from the book of the Bible called Judges. The book is named after a group of men and women in the nation of Israel's history whom God raised up to deliver God's people from the hands of their oppressors. These leaders were called judges. They were people of wisdom, sometimes people of strength, sometimes people of faith, sometimes people of bravery, and sometimes very little of any of those things. They are a hodgepodge of folks who span all kinds of spectrums, but God has this in common with each of them. He uses them in the midst of their inadequacies to do things that only God could do. And today we meet a judge by the name of Gideon. This Sunday and next Sunday, we are going to unpack this man's life and story as we find it here in the Bible. What we'll find is this is a man who is not the brave kind of dude. He is not the storm the hill, fight the enemy kind of man. He's more of a man who's very insecure, a man who's got questions about himself, a man who wonders things about his own pedigree that makes him feel like he is inadequate. He's a man like many of us men and women are like here today, isn't he? We find in this story in verse 11 that the angel of the Lord was at a tree which belonged to Gideon's dad, Joash. And as Gideon was there, this angel of the Lord is there. Now, the angel of the Lord in the Bible is a fascinating character in the Old Testament. I don't have time to unpack a lot of them, but there are two prominent ideas of who this angel of the Lord is. First off, it's perhaps just an angel that came from the Lord. And there very well be, may be what this angel of the Lord is. In fact, he comes, he speaks to God's people, he's described as an angel of the Lord. But then on the other hand, this angel of the Lord starts talking on behalf of God, but then sometimes begins talking as if he were God. And you're left wondering, like, wait, are you the angel of the Lord or are you the Lord? Which has led some scholars to believe that the angel of the Lord indeed is God who has made himself visible and tangible to the people who he reveals himself to. And many even believe this could be the pre-incarnate son of God who would later in the flesh be Jesus the Christ. Ultimately, we don't truly know the angel of the Lord's identity, but what we do know is this. He's from the Lord and he speaks with God's authority. And the angel of the Lord is there and it says he sees Gideon in an interesting place. In verse 11 it says, Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now many of us are, are city folk born and raised. Any of you guys ever beat out wheat? Probably not. I'm going to guess most of you don't have a wine press. And so even just reading that statement, it may go over our heads what a unique thing was just said there. Gideon is beating out wheat in a wine press. Now, I'm no expert in this, but I'm pretty sure wine is not made out of wheat. You see, grapes are taken to the wine press, and wheat is beaten out at the threshing floor. But here, Gideon is beating out wheat at the wine press. And this is a cue to what's going on in the story around us. Why would Gideon... Be beating out wheat. Well, first off, when you are harvesting wheat, you take the grain, you take the wheat, you separate the grains from the, from the sticks, from the stalk. And then what they would do is they would throw the, the grains and the chaff in the air. The wind would blow the chaff away and the grains would fall to the ground. And that's how they separated uh, the, the wheat from the chaff without technology as we have it today. So naturally what they would do is go on top of hilltops to do that where it was most breezy so the wind was strong enough to blow away the chaff and the, and the wheat, the grain could fall to the ground. They'd gather it and they'd make their food from that. The problem is when you are up on a hill doing that, you are very visible to anybody around you. They see you up there throwing things in the air. They see the chaff blowing away and all of a sudden you are exposed, which is not a problem. If you're just doing your job, which is a big problem, though, if there's enemies trying to steal your food. 
So Gideon goes into a wine press, which is lower in the ground, lower to the ground, and less visible. The problem is there's no breeze. And so you're throwing this up, hoping things separate. It is a task. It is frustrating. It is the plight of Gideon and the people of Israel during this time. Well, why, why is this the case? Well, in the first 10 verses of chapter 6, if we had time to read them, we'd find that God's people again do what's evil in God's sight. And God, as a good God who loves his people, does not allow them to persist in evil. So what God does is he disciplines them. And his chancla in this situation is the nation of the Midianites. The Midianites came to God's people to discipline them, but these were a cruel people. In fact, we're told in chapter 6 that the Midianites would come to God's people's land and property just at the time of harvest, and they would come like locusts, riding camels too, too great to number, and they would overpower the harvesters, steal all their food, leave, and the God's people were there with empty fields and no food. They were powerless. They were hopeless. They were helpless. And in order to preserve food, they had to start beating out their grain and wine presses so they weren't visible. In fact, we're told that they had to dig out dens and hide in caves when the Midianites came. God's people were brought so low, so shamed that they were desperate. And over seven years of this, they began to cry out to God. And family, we've seen this throughout the book of Judges, and it, it bears repeating. Family, God is not a last-ditch effort. Your prayers are not the thing you do when all else fails. But that's what God's people do. They try everything. They're digging holes. They're, they're, they're trying to beat their grain and wine press before they finally ask God for help. And God is so gracious, family. As stubborn as you are, and I know you're stubborn. Why? Because you're just like me. As stubborn as we are, God is so gracious to us. As he is with his people, they cry out. God sends a prophet, and the prophet says, look, God told you he'd bring you out of Egypt, and he told you when you go into the land he promised, fear him and don't fear their gods. But guess what? You didn't listen. You started fearing their gods and serving them, and you've brought this upon yourself. And so they cry out to God, and now the angel of the Lord sees this man Gideon hiding among the wine press, beating out his chaff, and the angel of the Lord has a message for Gideon. He says in verse 12, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now there's an irony here, because what's Gideon doing at the moment? He's hiding. But the angels have called him a mighty man of valor. Now, I'm not going to say Gideon's a coward. Part of me just says he's shrewd, right? Like, I'm not trying to get my food stolen. I'm not trying to get ransacked. But at the end of the day, Gideon's hiding. And when Gideon hears this message, he doesn't appear to think he's an angel of the Lord right away. But what we do see is Gideon's bothered by this statement. He's bothered by both parts of the statement. First off, he's bothered that he says the Lord is with you. Then he's bothered that he calls him a mighty man of valor. Gideon ain't happy about the situation. So first off, the angel of the Lord says, the Lord is with you. And in verse 13, Gideon says, please, sir. Or maybe it's please, sir. We're not giving tone. It's like an emoji, right? You don't know how that, like, how am I supposed to read that? <laughs> we see please, sir. Is this a kind of please, sir, or please? If the Lord is with us, he says, why then has all this happened to us? All this, all of the stuff that I was just telling y'all about. He says, where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Gideon's like, man, I've been hearing about the God that you said is with us since I was a kid. I've, I've heard stories of Egypt. I heard the story of the Nile River turning to blood. That's a cute story, Gideon's feeling. Uh, I've heard when the hailstones came and, and, and destroyed parts of Egypt. I heard about how the angel of death came and killed the firstborn from Egypt. 
I heard about how as, a, as, a, as my Hebrew uh, ancestors left Egypt, that the Egyptians gave them money and gave them gold and ransacked them on the way out. I heard about how Moses lifted up a staff and the Red Sea parted and how they ate bread from heaven and quails in the wilderness. I heard about these cute stories. But where is that God as I'm threshing in a wine press? You ever been there, family? I've heard about all the things God has done, but where's God right now in the mess I'm living in today? I've heard about all the ways that God has worked in people's lives. I've read the Bible, but today I feel forsaken by God. See, Gideon is a man just like you and I are here today. He is a person who is grappling with his faith and bothered by the fact that he feels like God is absent in the midst of his predicament. Where is the God that our fathers recounted, he says. And then he says in verse 13 at the end, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. I got a problem getting saying with you saying the Lord is with you. But that's not the only thing I got a problem with, angel. I got a problem with the fact that he said, Almighty man of valor. You see, in verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Do not I send you? And Gideon's like, again, in verse 15, what does he say? Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. You see, do you hear what Gideon is saying here? Gideon's like, look, first off, you tell me God is with me, but he ain't with me. Second of all, you call me mighty man. But my family, my household, is the least in our entire tribe of Manasseh. And it's a big tribe. There's all kinds of clans, and we're the weakest of the clans. Not only that, in my father's household, he says I'm the least. Which seems to imply he perhaps is the youngest, the, le the less amount of inf influence, doesn't have much power, doesn't have much sway. And here, he's like, I got a problem with what you're saying. It, it feels like Gideon's that guy who's got an answer to everything. You know that kind of person? You know, the that's the person when the kid asks, can I go to the bathroom? And they say, I don't know, can you? <laughs> I, I, know, I, I know that triggered some of you there. Or the person who spiritualizes it, right? What are you doing today? I'm doing the will of him who sent me. <laughs> got an answer for everything. I got to run a store and get some bread. Man does not live on bread alone. <laughs> right? Couldn't figure out today's wordle. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Like, like the person who's got an answer for everything. And Gideon's kind of like that right now in the midst of his insecurities. Every time the angel of the Lord speaks to him and tells him his call, Gideon has a response to say, that can't be my call. Gideon's insecurities are rising to the surface, and he cannot think that God would actually use him. See, this is something that's important for us to understand, that Gideon needs to understand. This is the first thing we got to understand, family, if we are going to break through these insecurities with God's help. The first thing that Gideon needs to understand is that you must let God determine your identity and not the people around you nor the opinions within you, family. Let me say this again. You must let God determine your identity and not the people around you nor the opinion within you. You see, Gideon's opinion and his identity is that he is the least. His pedigree is not up to par with God's calling. But family, this is how God works. He takes people who think they can't do it and shows that he can do it through those kind of people. Peter didn't have the academic accolades as a fisherman. Matthew was a cheater who took advantage of people who would become a disciple. The woman at the well was ostracized and labeled and despised. The man with the demon was, was in, in bondage. And yet God's taking people who did not have the strength in themselves to do what, they, what God's calling them to do and says, but my plan is greater than your perception of yourself. You look at yourself 
as if you're looking at a carnival of mirrors, but that's not what I see because I see my power at work through you. Family, too often, when God places a call on our lives, we begin to calculate according to our insecurities. We calculate our value like this. We pull out our calculator, we type in our sinful past, plus our family heritage, plus our financial standpoint, plus our academic shortfalls, equals regret, equals failure, inadequacy, you can't do this, be skeptical of hope, or worst of all, equals God has given up on me. That's what insecurity does. It causes you to create an equation where God is not in it. And when you create an equation for your identity as Gideon has right here, you cannot live out God's call for your life because God is not working in your life. Now, this is the problem in our text for today, but let me list an opposite problem is the one who calculates and says, man, I've got the degrees, plus I've got a great savings account, plus check out my 401k, plus look at my assets, plus look at my reputation, equals I got this, equals God is so lucky to have me in his kingdom. And you may not say it like that, but you're living it like that. That's called pride, and that will lead to destruction. See, Gideon's case is more of the opposite. It's more of the insecurity. It's more of the adding up your life's pedigree, your, your, your own identity according to your own vision, and saying God cannot work in the midst of that. But family, this is where we need to not go by our own opinion, but go by what God has determined. Now, I want to get a little more specific here because I'm not talking just general call, general identity, go name what you want and claim what you want. No, we name what God has named for us and we claim what God has given to us. And what is that? Well, Ephesians 1 says that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's your identity when you put your faith in Jesus. Your identity is that Ephesians 1 tells you you've been predestined before the foundation of the world. That's who you are if you put your faith in Jesus. That you become adopted into God's family. You are his daughter, sister. You are his son, brother. That's your identity, not a carnival of mirrors. Your identity says whether you've got lots or littles, you can do all things and be sustained with God's help through him who strengthens you. Your identity says, according to Hebrews 13, that God will not leave or forsake you. Your identity says, according to Romans 8, that you are more than a conqueror over your sin. Your identity says that nothing can separate you from God's love, which is in Christ Jesus. That you have an eternal inheritance, Ephesians 1, that is guaranteed because of the Holy Spirit. And that Jesus came to give you an abundant life according to God's standards. Family, that's your identity. That's what God has determined for all who put their faith in Jesus. So if you are a child of God today, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, and you've put your faith in him, let God determine your identity and not the people around you, nor the opinions within you. Gideon is here questioning God, the angel of the Lord's message. And as the angel of the Lord says to him, he says, I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites. Gideon is there wondering if it's true. In fact, he lays out saying, you know what, I'm going to ask for a sign. I want you to prove to me that this is really what God wants to do in my life. He says, would you stay here? I'm going to go cook some food, bring it back and give it to you. And let that be a sign that really is God who is here. And here God meets Gideon in his doubt and in his insecurity because God has a plan for Gideon that Gideon doesn't even understand just yet. So God says, sure, I'll do that. 
Gideon gets back with the food. The angel of the Lord lifts his staff to it. It gets consumed by fire. And Gideon's like, I was in front of God today. Look at verse 22. It says, And Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, for you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. The Lord is shalom and is there to this day. You see, what God wanted to do was break through Gideon's insecurities. Because here's a second lesson we learned, family. Um, Your insecurities will handcuff your calling if you don't surrender those insecurities to God. Your, Your insecurities will handcuff God's call for your life. And God's call for your life, be ready for this. God's will for your life is that you would walk with Jesus and give glory to God in all that you do. Why is that God's will for your life? Because God knows that that is the most satisfying life you could ever live. And he loves you so much to say, live for me, give me glory, and watch how satisfying it is to be my follower. That's God's will for your life. And as you walk with him, you turn away from sin. As you walk with him, you would grow in your faith. As you walk with him, you'd pursue him in prayer and his word because that's God's will for your life. Now, there are questions about what God wants you to do for career, for school, and all those things. And there are ways that God speaks to us into those things. But so often we want to know these microscopic God's will moments for our lives. And we miss the macro. Like God's just calling you to follow him, fam. But your insecurities will handcuff that because you'll be like, God, I can't follow you. God, man, do you know my past? You know what I did in high school? Do you know what I did in college? Do you know my failures? Do you you know how how I I, I can't study? I'm lacking things intellectually. I have a speech impediment. I don't have the strength to do what you're calling me to do, and our insecurities and our doubts begin to handcuff us. You see, God can work through us, but we have to acknowledge the fact, yeah, we have shortcomings, we all do, but those don't prevent God's call in your life. Gideon needed to understand that. The other thing Gideon tries to do here that shows us this is God says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Look again in verse 12. And Gideon says, please, sir, if the Lord is with who? He says, the angel says, the Lord is with you. And Gideon says, if the Lord is with us. Notice the pronoun change there. God speaks a word to you, to Gideon, to you. And Gideon responds with us. See, God gives a specific call to Gideon. And Gideon generalizes the call and says, surely you can't be talking to me. If God is with us, why are these things happening to us? And God is like, look, Gideon, I'm talking to you right now. I'm talking to you. And this morning, God is talking to you, family. He's not just talking to to us as a whole, but he's talking to you specifically. Where Gideon wanted to generalize that God's calling and make himself not part of it, God personalizes it and makes it precise. Because God wants to break through his insecurity so Gideon can live according to his call. It seems like Gideon gets it. I was like, all right, God's with me. And God's like, I got a job for you, Gideon. Because I came to you not just to let you know that I'm with you, but I've also came so I could use you to accomplish my purpose. God says, I'm going to use you to save my people from the hand of Midian, from this massive army This massive people like locusts who come and take their food. Gideon, you're the one I'm going to use. So what's the first thing God tells him to do? This is mind-blowing in verse 25. Look what God tells him. That night, that very night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the asteroid that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold there with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the asteroid that you shall cut down 
So Gideon took men of his servants, ten men of his servants, and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. What's the first job God gives Gideon? He says, go home to your dad's house and cut down the altar to Baal and the Asherah pole. These are idols. Gideon, before you come and do my work, I need you to go home and cut down some idols first. This is what gets me, family. Because what did Gideon, what was his first response when God says the Lord is with you? Gideon says, where is the Lord whom we heard about who rescued our people from Egypt? Listen, this is, this is something I need you all to hear here. From a young age, Gideon heard about Yahweh, the God of Israel, rescuing God's people. But what's at Gideon's house? Idols. Family, this is called syncretism. Where we give God lip service, but we have other things going on within the household. It's when we say, God, we're worshiping you, but we also got these other idols on the side. And here's one thing that you'll find. Idols are okay having God, our Father, with them. But our God is not okay having idols with him. The enemy is okay with some syncretism. The enemy is okay if we sprinkle in a little bit of Yahweh, a little bit of Jesus here. But we worship the idol of money. The enemy is okay if we worship the idol of self. The idols of our freedom. The idols of all sorts. The enemy is okay if we do that and sprinkle in some Jesus there. Because what happens then is we begin to misunderstand the God of the Bible. And if we misunderstand the God of the Bible, we ain't worshiping him. And so what God tells Gideon is, in order for me to be elevated in your home, the idols need to be eradicated from your home. Family, we've got to search deep in our hearts at this moment here. We've got to search deep in our hearts and say, Lord, am I, am I elevating idols in my house? Give that some thought, fam. I was talking with Erica about this a few days ago and saying, man, this is, this is a hard word here. Because idols are sneaky, fam. We could blink and our lives are, being revol- are revolving around something other than God. And what happens is something even good can become an idol when it becomes what you dream about always. When it becomes what your life revolves around, when it begins to dictate your decisions, it has become God. And what we must do is eradicate the idols. Some idols need to get torn down. I mean, God is savage in this. I love this. He says, cut down the idol, and then the wood from the idol, I want you to use as firewood for the sacrifice to me. I mean, God's like, I want you to see how impotent these idols are. Because they won't satisfy you, family. They can't answer your prayers. They can't heal you from sin. They can't promise you eternal life. Nothing at all outside of our God can deliver on those promises. So why would we elevate anything but God in our homes? So, fam, let's not be syncretists. But we have these true things our lives revolve around and sprinkle in a little bit of Jesus here and there. God wanted to break through this in Gideon's life. And I'll just say this as well, family. A reoccurring theme in the book of Judges is the effects of these worship choices on the children that watch. And family, it was Gideon's dad that taught him about Yahweh. He says it. My father's taught this. And it's Gideon's dad that taught him Baal worship. Family, when we prioritize things outside of the Lord, over the Lord, our children in our own homes and in our own lives, your nieces, your nephews, your grandkids, they are watching. 
and were getting questions, why is God not with us? No one ever taught them to question how they strayed away from God, and this was God's discipline and loving hand on them. So family, let's search our hearts and not let ourselves go after other gods. They will leave you empty. We learn here that while these gods are consumed by this fire, our God is a consuming fire. These gods are combustible. Our God is fireproof. And here, Gideon does what God told him to do, but instead of Gideon does it at night. Gideon's still working through these insecurities, family. He doesn't get it figured out in an instant. And you ain't going to get it figured out this morning either. But Gideon's learning to trust God because he still does what God tells him to do. He just does so under the cover of dark. The next morning we're told in verse 28, the people from the town wake up and they're like, yo, we're missing an idol there in Gideon's dad's backyard. And they're upset about what happens. And they begin to search diligently, say, hey, who saw what was going on? And after their investigation, they find it was Gideon who cut down the altar. And then verse 30 says, then the men of the town said to Joash, that's Gideon's dad, bring out your son that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But it's weird. Gideon's dad says this. Will you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself. Because his altar has been broken down. Gideon's dad's like a, a walking contradiction. All of a sudden he's questioning the Baal that was in his backyard. And maybe he's like, it's torn down. I can't argue with that. So what he says is, nobody should go and defend the Baal and kill my son until morning and see if Baal Baal can defend himself. Well, guess what, family? Morning came and Baal was still down. They come down, but he didn't get up. And here Gideon and the people learn that the one in whom they've been trusting is powerless to deliver them from their oppression. Powerless. Fam, this is what I want us to understand this morning. God wants to break through our misconceptions of ourselves so that we can see him better and see his call in our life and his ability to work through us in ways we would never think is possible by our own strength. This is not a call to become secure on your own today. But it's a call to surrender your insecurities to God who can strengthen you and use you for his will. Our God is an expert at using those, at using those who people have deemed useless. Our God is a master at taking what is powerless and showing it to be powerful. See, family, the bell was cut down, and in the morning he didn't rise up because he ain't God. But what the enemy tried to do was take a page out of our God's book and use it on our God himself. Because our God became flesh and his name is Jesus and walked that perfect life. And the enemy tried to cut him down, family, by putting him on a cross. And he cut him down and killed him on that cross. He died on that cross. Jesus gave his life on that cross. And as he went to the grave, the enemy thought he had won and thought he was, that, that Jesus was powerless. But unlike Baal, when the morning came of the third day, our God raised up. Our God raised from the dead on the third day and is exalted into heaven because he alone is God. He alone is worthy of your devotion. He alone is worthy of your worship. He alone is worthy of your lives revolving around him, family. And when you trust in this God, all those insecurities and all those reasons you feel like you aren't enough, you realize God can make you enough because our God is God. Our God is powerful. And no matter what kind of baggage from your past you bring into the present, it does not determine God's will for your future. God's power is greater than your greatest weakness. And God's word is more penetrable into your soul 
than the most persuasive lie of the devil. So family, trust in your God who cannot get cut down forever. Trust in your God who is victorious and learn to walk in his confidence and strength just as Gideon is learning to walk. That's what God wants to do with you, fam. And oh, what a beautiful thing it would be to see God's people walking in God's confidence and not in their own weakness. Let's pray. God, we know how inadequate we are. And this is not like uh, some reversed pride. Lord, we just know we are inadequate. God, we're very much aware of how, how we fall short. And so, God, we come to you this morning God, we pray that we would not allow those inadequacies to prevent us from trusting you and your power in our lives. God, we also confess how so many times our inadequacies are born born out of our misguided worship. We've failed to trust you, Lord. We've, we've failed to, to lean on you to work in our lives. And so, God, we say forgive us, God. God, today I pray that we would be very proactive and eradicate whatever kind of idol you've exposed to us today. Whatever it is that we feel like we're living our lives for, For those that are just blatantly wrong and evil, God, may we destroy and cut them out and remove them from our lives, Lord. And those things maybe that were good things, God, that we've turned into God things, I pray that we would reposition them and put them in their proper place today, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would be elevated in our minds, elevated in our lives, elevated in our homes, God. so that people around us would see that though we don't have what it takes by our own strength, that we serve a God who is sufficient. And so, Father, I pray that we would not leave here unchanged this morning. But may our faith in you rise up. Oh, Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ our great God, our Savior, our Deliverer. Amen. Amen. Family, let's stand to our feet as we close. Prayer team, I want to invite you to come forward. And family, let's respond in song and prayer and coming forward and coming for prayer. But let us not leave today without responding. Let's sing with all our might.